This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you, Tim. If you have, have your Bibles, and I hope that everybody does, um, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to just read that one verse. We've been reading each session in this series, and then we're also going to be spending the majority of our time in the book of Romans chapter 8. So go ahead and at least make sure you're in Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to wrap up our series that's been about defending our faith without losing the person. And, and the whole point of the last three weeks has been to help us to know what to say when there is little time and even less interest. For example, it's for situations when a coworker or a family member will make a snide remark about our faith, and, and we've actually referred to it as a hit and run or a drive-by. And uh, they, they may say something like, well, Mr. Church Guy or Mrs. Church Girl or Mr. Holier Than Thou or, or something else. They find a way to t- kind of just get under your skin. It just digs. And this series has been about giving a quick comeback, not in an ugly way like sometimes we want to do because we think, how dare they question our faith? But but it's not about being ugly. It's about being gentle and respectful and kind and giving something that serves as an anchor point that hopefully will open the door for future conversations. Now, of course, the verse that we've been feeding off of from the Apostle Peter First Peter chapter three, verse 15, it says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And, and, and this has been the launching point for this entire series. And then here it is. Always, always be prepared to give an answer. And, and the Greek word, the original Greek word is give a defense. So always be, be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And we've been pointing this out, and I hope that this relieves you a little bit, but Peter's not saying that you have to be prepared to answer every question about the Bible. Thank God. Peter's not saying that you have to be able to defend every strange practice in the Old Testament. Thank God, because I can't do that. He's not saying that you have to be able to explain everything in the book of Revelation where there's a lot of blood, judgment, really weird stuff. Uh, Peter's not saying that you need to be ready to defend all of the bad decisions that Christians make. He's not even, thank God, saying that you've got to be able to defend all the preachers that have run people off from the church. Peter is simply saying, always be prepared to explain the hope that has caused you to personally follow Jesus. Why have you decided to follow Jesus? What's the driving factor? And of course, the answer to that is Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Now today we're going to jump into one of the most common pushbacks that people have against God. We're going to talk about the very emotional argument, and it's emotional. The the emotional argument that people use... To, to stiff arm God or stiff arm Christians or, or stiff arm the church. And that is, how can a good and loving God allow bad things to happen to good and innocent people? It's emotional for a lot of people. 
And more specifically, how can a God, if he's truly good, if he's truly loving, as he says he is, how could he allow a little child to come down with cancer? How could a loving God allow a mom with three small children to be killed in an accident with a drunk driver? She's killed. He walks away without a scratch. How could a loving God not step in when children are abused? How could a good and loving God that that supposedly controls weather patterns allow a hurricane to devastate so many people in the state of Texas and and now Florida as well as some of the islands? If, If God were truly good and loving as he says he is, don't you think that good and loving God would have diverted the hurricane back out to the ocean? And so as Christians, I believe it's important that we have a response, not to argue, but to help people understand that pain and suffering is normal, it's natural, and even sometimes good. Pain is not a valid reason to put God in the rearview mirror of our lives. This is really a heavy topic today, and I I think we better just call a time out and pray one more time. Oh, Father, we really need you because this is probably the most common pushback that we hear. And and most of us, we don't don't know how to respond. We we say, well... uh, you, you know what, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn this later on. And, uh, you know, God's still a good God, and, and, and we don't know how to explain it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a response. And uh, just give us your spirit today as we dig into your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we go to the book of Romans, I I want to uh, give you two simple comebacks to this argument. I want to start out with the comebacks, and then we're going to kind of get into the philosophy behind this. But two simple comebacks to this argument of how a good God could allow bad things to happen to good people. And, And again, these comebacks are not meant to be snappy answers to make people look stupid. They're not so that we can say, ha ha, I made you look bad. No, these are s- simple responses to help people think. And now, now the first response is what I want to just call a simple response because, because it's simple. And, and, and I promise you this will not wow you. You will probably be underwhelmed by this. But it's a good response. And, and so track with me. The second response is, is what I will call a fun response. And, and this is not having fun at the other person's expense. It's just merely looking at a tough topic and, and maybe having a little bit of fun take the edge off of it and opening the door for some conversation. Let's begin with a simple response. When someone says, yeah, I just don't understand how a loving God could allow suffering in the world. Here's the first simple response and, and say this in your own words. But you can say something similar to this. This is a toughie. And you're not the first person that struggled with this. But I'm curious. Have you ever read anything on this topic? And just stop. I told you it'd be underwhelming. Again, yeah, I, I know this is really hard to understand. It's hard to reconcile. But let me ask you a quick question. Have you ever read anything on this topic? And stop. 
Now, I, I, I know, again, you're not impressed with this response. You're thinking, oh, Joe, you're such a simpleton, and, and, and you're actually right there. But, but, but here is why this is a good response. The, the response is basically letting them know that they're not the first ones to struggle with this issue, which, which transparency many times opens the door for a conversation. So, so, so understand that being transparent here, they're not the first ones is the first way to open the door. Secondly, you're also letting them know that books have been written on this matter. And if they're genuinely interested in moving past this obstacle, there are things they can read. And, you know, many times people just want to complain. That's all they want to do. But, but if they really want some insight and help, there are some great books that have been written. So I'm just curious. Have you read anything on this topic? Now, if they say yes, say, oh, oh well, good. What, what have you read? But most of the time, the answer will be no. And hopefully that will open the door to some discussion. Now, the second response is a little bit more fun. And again, this is not to make them look stupid. This is just to help them think. When someone says, how could a loving God allow heartache and tragedy? The second response is, yeah, I know what you mean. This is hard to reconcile. But let me ask you a question. If you had the power to remove everything bad from the world right now, would you do it? I mean, if, if you could push a button and everything bad go away very suddenly... Would you do it? Now, warn them, say, be careful before you push that button. Let me ask you, have your children ever done anything bad? I mean, do you think your grandmother, as saintly as she is now, do you think in her early days she ever did anything bad? Or, or how about you? Have you ever done anything bad? So, if you could push a button and everything bad, everything evil, go away, would you do it? Now, that may be the end of the conversation, but probably not. And, and if the conversation continues on, you can say, hey, just as you would hesitate to push the button and get rid of everything bad, because that would include you and me and our kids and even our saintly grandma, is it possible God has a reason as well to hold off getting rid of everything and everyone bad? And by the way, just for your information... Do you know why God doesn't push the button to remove everybody that's bad? I mean, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is very clear. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. And here it is, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the reason God doesn't just push a button to exterminate all evil is because he's not wanting anyone to be destroyed eternally, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. So the second response is, hey, I know this whole thing of evil and, and injustice in the world is troubling, but if you could push a button and get rid of all bad things and, and bad people, would you push it? And of course, we would all hesitate to push it because we would be the first to go. And if you haven't figured this out already, that, that points to a level of hypocrisy in our lives. In fact, here's what it boils down to. We want aerosol justice. That's what we want. I mean, we, we want aerosol justice to, to where if you mistreat children... I'll just get rid of you. I'll just spray you. 
or if you cause my family to suffer. Or, you know, if I'm a Republican, because Republicans generally think the main problem in America is the Democrats, then I'll just get rid of all the Democrats. Or, or if I'm a Democrat uh, because they feel that the Republicans are the problem in America, so I'll just get rid of them, they're Republicans, and that'll take a while. <laughs> and then all these people that are hanging around playgrounds trying to sell drugs to kids, I'll just spray them. Get rid of them. Take care of them once and for all. And, and the meth dealers and, and the addicts and the, and the alcoholics, get rid of them. And all the people that, that go to church, but they don't put God first. They're casual Christians. Just spray them. And then all the people that go to church, but they cuss during the week, you know, spray them. And, and anybody involved in sex trafficking will spray them. In fact, that's going to take a while. Double spray them. That's serious stuff. You know, when I see evil... And injustice, I will take care of it. Justice smells good, doesn't it? Yeah. When I, whenever I'm putting out justice, it smells so good. It feels good. But here's the thing. You ready? The key to this whole thing that I call aerosol justice is that I want to hold a can of spray. I don't want you to hold a can. Do you know why? Because you might decide to spray me. Because the truth is that I've been unjust. I've been bad. And I'm sorry to disappoint you as your pastor, but I didn't grow up a perfect angel like some of you thought I did. In fact, in my adult years, I haven't always been perfect either. And I've done some bad things in my life. And I've done some things that I'm not proud of. And so I don't want you to control this because you would probably spray me. And then especially, I don't want Almighty God to control this because God knows everything about me. You know, you see my actions and I can generally act like a fairly good boy on Sunday morning, but God sees me during the week and, and you know, not only sees my actions, but, but He knows my thoughts and my motives. And so if, if God gets a hold of this can of justice, I'm history. And by the way, Before you get too down on me and get to feeling smug about yourself, let me just ask you, have you ever done anything bad? Oh, come on now. Raise your hand. Have you done anything bad? And so uh, you would get sprayed too. We want aerosol justice, but we want to control the can. I don't want you to have the can. You don't want me to have the can. And we certainly don't want God to have the can. We want to decide who gets sprayed. Again, that's hypocrisy at the highest level. Because we're setting ourselves up to be God because we want to decide what is unjust enough and bad enough to be sprayed. We want to make that decision. And then when we make that decision and we spray, it feels good, it smells good. 
You know, all of that points to two very important assumptions. The first assumption is that certain things ought not be. I mean, the reason you want a can of justice is because there are things that ought not be. And, and this sense of ought and this sense of ought not was what actually moved C.S. Lewis, the British theologian and, and, and the great writer from being an atheist to a theist. And at the beginning, not even a Christian. That followed later on. But in his books, and, and especially the classic book of mere Christianity, and, and if you haven't read that book, you need to read that. That is a classic. But, but he explained that he realized there was something inside of him that, that thought other people ought to do certain things. And then he asked the question, okay, where did that ought come from? You know, if, if I feel that certain people, that everybody ought to do that, where did that sense of ought come from? He said, if I made that standard up, then I have nobody, I have no right to hold anybody else to that. I mean, that's my personal standard. So if I made that up, I shouldn't require that of them. But, but he, he continued on and said, the thing that's interesting is that it seemed like that ought and ought not that was in me was also the same ought and not not in people around me. And, and it was almost like somebody had placed the same standard within everybody. And so he said, you know, if somebody did place that same standard in us, who did that? Who was it? And, and he said that bothered him and bothered him so much. And it finally caused him to raise his eyes and recognize there is a creator God who is the moral judge of the universe. And at that point, C.S. Lewis wasn't ready to say Jesus is the Son of God. That came sometime later. But, but he rec recognized that this inescapable sense of ought and ought not came from somewhere outside of him. But then he came to another realization and he began to realize that the world was broken. I mean, there were earthquakes and, and tornadoes and tsunamis, hurricanes, cancer, brain, tumors, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS. The world was broken. And C.S. Lewis said his reaction to the broken world was, that ought not be. But then he went on further and said, I began to realize that we as humans are also broken. I mean, because sometimes we find ourselves breaking the law. You know, even though we want the law and even though we support our law enforcement officers, yet sometimes we try to avoid law enforcement officers, don't we? You know you do. That's why when you speed, you keep your eyes peeled ahead. That's right. So how is it that, that we're for law enforcement officers, but then at times we want to hide from them? What's wrong with us? And C.S. Lewis says, we're broken. The world is broken. And what I've been trying to set up this morning in our lesson, and, and please don't miss this because this is good news. Yes, even though we're broken, and yes, even though the world is broken, but as Christians, we need to know that our current world is not our final world. I mean, Jesus taught this through his parables and the Apostle Paul reiterated this in his letters and Peter emphasized this in his books and, and the book of Revelation points to it. The current world is not our final world. And by the way, the world did not start off broken. Did you know that? The, the world was broken when, when it was handed off to humanity and, and God gave us our most coveted attribute, our freedom to choose. There in the Garden of Eden, God called it the knowledge of good and evil. There was given to us a choice. And you might never, never have thought of this. But God felt that the best possible world for us was not an absence of evil. Track with me, okay? This is kind of deep stuff. 
God felt that the best possible world for us was not an absence of evil. Otherwise, he would have stamped out evil in the Garden of Eden. He would have made us as puppets. But, but he felt the best possible world this side of heaven was where men and women are free to sin, but yet they freely choose not to. The best possible world is, is where we're not forced. Rather, we can freely choose to love Him, freely choose to worship Him, freely choose to serve Him, freely choose to say no to anything that would undermine the dignity of another person, freely say no to temptation, freely say no to racism, and all those things that are creating chaos in our country. That's a world where there is the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, God could have created us as clones without the power of choice. But God felt the best possible world, this side of heaven, was a world where we had choice. The knowledge of good and evil, where we are free to sin, but yet we freely choose not to. Over 12 years ago, we built our our, our new church here. And, uh, you know, as we studied it out, we wanted a place that was inviting. You know, a place that used to be, uh, you know, a church, you'd had this foyer about the size of a bathroom and, and there was no fellowship that took place. And so we began to study, you know, what, what would be an inviting place where people would just feel comfortable and want to kind of hang out and talk. And so we, uh, we decided that put in a fireplace and, um, and, and, you know, as Americans, we're safety conscious and, and uh, I had some people that came to me and they said, you know, maybe we we ought to rope off the area some, somehow, I don't know, barricade it off so that kids can't get up there close to the fire. And, and um, you know, even though the fireplace is sealed, yet, uh, you know, when, when it's on, it, it, the glass gets a little bit warm to touch. And it won't set you on fire or anything like that, don't worry. But it might leave a little red mark if, if you hold your hand on it for a few seconds. And um, anyway, what what where I'm going with this is that there were some people that were kind of pushing, you know, we need to have some safety features here and, and, um, you know, kind of rope it off. We, we don't want our kids to, to, to get up close to that. And, and the people that were kind of pushing this, that they're good people, um, bless their hearts. They're, they're really good people. Uh, and, and they moved away and not, not over this situation here, but they said, we need to do something about this. And, and I guess as someone that grew up in the dark ages, uh, just about the time that cavemen were, were walking around, uh, you know, at, at a time when we didn't have car seats, um, and at a time when we actually rode in the back of pickups, and just the other day in our community, I, I saw a pickup pulling a trailer and a mower, and a guy was actually riding the mower on the trailer. I thought, yeah, that's, that's uh, what we would do, and of course that's also Cedar County, but... Uh, sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, we, we would ride in the back of pickups and, and we rode bikes without helmets and, and we knew the coffee was hot and you could get burned without a sign there. And we knew that if the floor was wet, we didn't have to have a sign saying that it would be slick and you might fall down. We knew that if there's ice on the parking lot, it's going to be slick and, and you might go down. And so I grew up in that era where, where we just knew you might get hurt and you probably would get hurt. But anyway, we, uh, we talked about it, you know, we decided not to put up a barrier around the fireplace and, and that little kid that, um, touched the glass, they got a little red mark on their finger. Um, you know what's so fascinating? And this is just totally blows my mind. The kid never touched it again. <laughs> Isn't that just so weird? 
uh, they learned their lesson. And, and, and the parents didn't have to take the kid home and say, well, you touched that glass. And so you're going to have to sit in time out for three days. Or you're going to have to write a hundred times, I will not touch the glass on the fireplace. No, no. Um, the consequences taught the lesson. And, and, and I, I tell you that just to let you know that God allowed there to be consequences in our world. And God allowed pain and suffering. And God never wrote that song, something good is going to happen to you. Rather, do you know the song that God wrote? In this world you will have trouble. That's right. That's what Scripture says. In this world, you will have trouble. There will be pain. There will be suffering. And, and for some reason, this teaching has drifted off front and center, but it's biblical. And, and here's the way the Apostle Paul said it in the book of Romans. Verse 18, he said, Romans eight eighteen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So down through the ages, those who have carried the torch for Christianity, they've all suffered. Goes on and says, uh, glory that will be revealed in us. So that's future tense. The creation waits. Future tense. So, so it's the creation, not just mankind. It's all of creation. It's like creation understands that something's not right. Goes on and says, for an eager expectation, the sons of God to be revealed. So that's future tense. This is not our final form. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So when mankind sinned, everything under mankind's authority suffered, even the natural world, even creation. It wasn't creation's fault. It wasn't fair. Creation took the hit because of mankind's sin. That's why we have hurricanes. It's not creation's fault, but creation took the hit. In fact, let me just say this before we finish reading the scripture. Some of you have suffered because of decisions your parents made when you were when you were children. It wasn't fair, but it still happened. It's reality. Some of you are predisposed to illnesses, heart problems, high blood pressure, diabetes because of who you're related to. It runs in the family. It's not fair, but it's reality. Some of you are suffering because you were abused sexually as a child and and that has affected you emotionally all of your life. It's not Fair. You did not deserve this. But it's reality. Some of you have been burned by someone in the church. They took advantage of you and it hurt. It's not fair. But it's reality. Some of you have not been treated right at work. Your coworker or boss has had it in for you. It's not fair, but it's reality. Some kids have suffered because their mom was on drugs during the time of pregnancy. So they have issues because of it. It was not their fault. It's not fair. But it's reality. Thousands and actually millions of people have been devastated by Harvey and Irma over the past couple of weeks. It's not fair. But it's reality. The truth is... We all have those things that we can look back on and say, not fair. And I didn't deserve to be treated that way. Not fair. I have my rights. Not fair. I was blindsided. Not fair. They chose someone over me. Not fair. Politics got involved. Not fair. When mankind took possession of this earth and we sinned, we became broken and the world became broken. But here's what I want to emphasize. We know the world is broken. We know we're broken. And I want to emphasize the the word no. We know, we know, we know. 
do you know why we know we are broken? Because there's a vestige of the image of God left over us in us. Or in other words, there is enough of the original good in us that God created to help us understand ought and ought not. Now, the presence of God rests in some way in every single human heart. So therefore, we know something is wrong. We know things should be better. We know that bad things happening to good people isn't fair. We know that the devastation of Texas and Florida isn't right. God placed that knowledge within our hearts. Well, the Apostle Paul finishes the scripture we were reading for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Here it is that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the Apostle Paul is saying decay is the name of the game. Our bodies decay. The earth decays. Stone walls decay. Everything we touch decays. But we have a hope that this entire planet, creation itself, that is under the curse of decay, will be brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what Scripture says. Now I realize this is not a, an emotionally satisfying answer. There, there is no emotionally satisfying answer for pain and suffering. There's no answer for pain and suffering where you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Now, Yeah, I'm okay now with children suffering. No. Or, 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 oh yeah, okay, well yeah, I, I, I'm alright that we don't have, they don't have enough water. Or, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm alright with cancer. Or I'm fine with brain tumors. Now that you've given me the answer, oh, I'm okay that they've got a brain tumor. No. There is no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain. Again, you know why? Because there is still left in us enough of the image of God that will always cause us to be dissatisfied when innocent people suffer. And right there, that is a crushing blow to the theory of evolution. You know, if we just evolved from some primordial soup, there would be no internal standard of righteousness. There would be no sense of conscience built into humanity. But the truth is that there is a standard of righteousness. There is a sense of conscience. And so therefore, we recoil at innocent people suffering. We recoil at injustice. We recoil at the thought of bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people. And even though the world is broken because of our sin, there's still enough of the image of God left in us that yearns for justice and good. There's a lady by the name of Janine Maxwell who lives and works in the kingdom of Swaziland. And there are very many kingdoms left. And most of them are nations, countries, republics, whatever. But this is one of the few kingdoms left. And she has an organization right outside of one of the major cities called Manzanini and city of Manzanini, and, and uh, she has an organization that's called Project Canaan. And do you know what a good day for her is? In fact, let me ask you, what's a good day for you? Uh, you, uh, you get a raise. Uh, maybe you find out you have $500 more in your account than you thought, or a good day for you, maybe you go out to eat. Uh, good day is... The grandkids come over, or a good day is maybe the grandkids go home. (laughs) Let me tell you what a good day for Janine is. It's when they discover that one of the babies that's been discarded on the street of Manzanini or put in a bag and dropped off at the doorstep of their home they discover that that baby is not HIV positive. That's a good day in her world. 
the kingdom of Swaziland for many years has had a high rate of HIV and positive and AIDS and both in children and adults. And it may still be the highest in, in the world. I don't know. One day, Janine had a work team from the States and she said, let's go to the clinic. She'd had two kids dropped off and and uh, she said, uh, let's go to the clinic, find out their status. And so she and the team went there and it was just, it was interesting. She walked in and they were headed to the office where they would get the news and the team was following behind Janine and nurse saw them, came running out, had two pieces of paper. She got up close to them and big smile came on her face and she said, they're clean, no HIV positive. And Janine and her whole team just burst into tears. That was a good day. And the reason I tell you this story is because Janine, at the end of her emails, and she does some writing, she does some speaking, but at the end of her prayers, emails, speaking, she always ends it with a part of the verse from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. At the end of whatever she is reading or saying or praying, here's what she says. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In other words, what she was saying is, we're going to continue to rescue innocent children. We're, we're going to continue to wrestle with injustice. We're going to continue to do all we can. But we recognize in the midst of this decaying world that the ultimate hope isn't in us. We recognize the ultimate hope in the, is not in this world, but it's in the world to come. And, and so she says, come, Lord Jesus, come. So can I help us change our thinking today? Can I help us realize that pain and suffering, they are not evidence of the absence of a God. Rather, pain and suffering are the evidence of the fact that we know things aren't right and they ought to be better. And one day they will be better. So in summary, the short answer would go something like this. If God removed evil from the world, he would have to begin with me. But I believe God entered this evil world through his son to forgive me rather than to remove me. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And in the meantime, I will pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And in the meantime, I will serve my Lord. I will maintain my faith in our Heavenly Father and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we recognize there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of injustice, a lot of unfairness. But thank God there's enough of the vestige of the image of God within us to where we know things ought to be better and they will be better. And we can say, come Lord Jesus, come. You know, as we wrap things up, this series and this sermon, I I wonder if there's somebody here that maybe hasn't placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of good people on this earth that that have never taken this step of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today I'd love for anybody that doesn't know this, that doesn't have the assurance of sins forgiven, I would love for them to just be able to say, Lord, here I am. I don't understand everything, a lot about the Word. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand really all why bad things happen to uh, good people and good things happen to bad people. I don't understand that. but, But God, I want to put my trust in You. 
I want to put my faith in you. Maybe there's somebody here, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, nobody looking around. Maybe there's somebody here that would say, Joe, I'm not sure that I've, you might just say, I'm not sure that I've made preparations for the hereafter, the next world. I want to make sure that I'm ready. Is there anybody here that would just lift a hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Don't come back and embarrass me. Don't make public statements about me, but just pray for me. Is there anybody to lift a hand? Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Nobody's looking here. Just uh, thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just quickly raise a hand. You know, for those of you that raised your hand, maybe even for those of you that didn't, if you want to just confess your sins to the Lord, you can always come forward here at the altar or you can just where you are. Confess your sins and give your life to Him and and follow Him. Follow Jesus. Father, I want to just thank You for Your Word. I thank You that... You're a good God, even when things seem to fall apart, even when things don't make sense, even when we're left scratching our heads over just the events of the world to innocent people. We, we don't understand injustice. We don't understand why the bad guy sometimes does win and the good guy loses. Lord, I pray for those that have indicated that maybe they're not sure and They want to make sure that their life is right with Jesus Christ. And I pray that right now they would just accept you by faith. Lord, our heart cries out, even so come Lord Jesus. As we see a world that's racked with so much pain and suffering and chaos and racism. and Father, it's a mess. The world is broken. Lord, we're comforted by the fact that this is not our final world. Lord, we're comforted when we see somebody that is racked with an incurable disease. We're comforted by the fact that one day we will take on glorified bodies where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And Lord, your word promises that in different places. Lord, during this time, help us to be, help us to be faithful. Lord, don't let us feel like that we have to take on aerosol justice. And God, you will take care of that in the right time. Lord, you will take care of all injustice at the right time. And you will do it the right way. So Lord, uh, would you just help us to back out of the seat uh, of being judgmental and trying to play God. And that we would let you take on, Lord, vengeance. Lord, help us not to be so consumed by all of the injustice. And Lord, we just want to thank you that instead of deciding to remove us, you decided to forgive us. And so, Father, I just pray that today, moving forward, that we would follow you, that we would trust you, and that we would have an answer. Lord, when somebody asks us that we would have an answer as to the reason for the hope that lies within us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. God, take us from here. Following you, serving you. 
I pray this in Jesus' wonderful, precious, holy name. And again, all of God's people said, that wasn't a very healthy amen. All of God's people said, amen. amen. Now, before you go, um, let me just give you a little teaser for our next sermon series. And Lord willing, we'll start in, not next Sunday, but two Sundays away. Um, I, I think we are confused on what it means to really serve the Lord. And the reason is because we think it's a game of Jesus says. Jesus says pray. Jesus says give. Jesus says serve. Jesus says all of that kind of stuff that we kind of put in, equated with serving Christ. But really when you boil all of it down, do you you know what the essence of serving Christ really is? Jesus says, follow me. And so we're going to go on a journey, Lord willing, just to see what that really means to serve Jesus. Is it just about praying and giving and going to church and all of that? Or is there actually more to it? Is there maybe something to just following Jesus that we've forgotten? So anyway, be praying for me as uh, we work on that. I will look forward to seeing you this evening and Wednesday evening as we begin our life groups. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.